Hello and welcome to the Anishinaabe History Podcast. I'm Chris Waite. Today we're going back in time about 13,000 years. At this time on Turtle Island, there were mammoths, mastodons, camels, and prehistoric horses. Mountains of ice, such as the Wisconsin Glacier, were retreating and new lands were opening up for exploration. Evidence of human inhabitation of Turtle Island back to ancient times can be found in the archaeological record and in legends. Stone Age Clovis points have been found all over Turtle Island. Clovis points are grooved stone knives, arrowheads, and spear tips. This style of tool has been found in Arizona, Manitoba, and even Nova Scotia. Other tools used by the people of Turtle Island at this time include an engraving burin for delicate etching, as well as scrapers and drills. Smart people inhabited the grasslands. They lived off the land and in conjunction with the seasons. They told stories around the campfire, meaning they shared information with each other. Is it possible that some of these stories have remained passed down long enough to become the legends of today? Because the people of Turtle Island do have legends that seem to refer to this ancient time period. In a coyote legend, for instance, embers from a fire help melt back ice and darkness. In the book Native Science, Natural Laws of Interdependence, Gregory Cayetti writes, quote, Many native stories relate to how the world has changed. In a Paiute myth, coyote challenges shamans who have captured fire and are keeping it hostage for themselves atop an obsidian mountain. Coyote and his animal allies challenge the shamans to a dance contest. One by one they dance the shamans into exhaustion. Everyone falls asleep and the fire dies to a tiny ember. Coyote then steals the ember and flees with his animal allies. The animals toss the ember back and forth among themselves while running away from the obsidian mountain, and so fire is distributed throughout the land. The ice melts and darkness is dispelled. In some tales, particular attention is given to the ice melting. Those tales may have originated during an ice age, a time of literal darkness, and the subsequent melting of glaciers and the return of the sun. In the story, just as the shamans are about to catch Coyote, he gives a war whoop and throws the ember into the sky, which then forms the sun. End quote. On Turtle Island, Coyote is seen as a trickster, a teacher, and a survivor. Coyote often uses his wits to outsmart his opponents, but sometimes Coyote fails. Coyote has been around for a long, long time. He even put the stars in the sky. In one myth from the American Southwest, Coyote shoots an arrow into the sky, and then more arrows into the first arrow to create a ladder. The ladder leads to the sky. Up the ladder Coyote went with his wolf friends, and there they saw some bears. The wolves and the bears sat up there staring at each other, but Coyote was too skittish to sit with the wolves and the bears. So Coyote went back down the ladder. He removed the arrows from the sky and left the wolves and the bears up in the sky. Today we see the wolves and the bears still sitting there, staring at each other in the constellation known as the Big Dipper. According to evolutionary biologists, the modern coyote has been around for just under a million years. Prior to that evolutionary landmark, 
coyotes were physiologically different. Basically, Ice Age coyotes were more robust than modern coyotes and were adapted less for continuous running and more for chewing meat. Modern coyotes have teeth that are better suited for eating vegetation when compared to ancient coyotes and modern wolves. Coyotes are smaller than wolves, although they are related. Coyotes have changed over time. Perhaps this is one reason why native tradition holds that coyote is a shapeshifter. How much ice was there? Where and when did ice cover Turtle Island? How did people orient themselves spatially on Turtle Island? Stars. Earlier in this episode, I mentioned the Big Dipper being created by Coyote. That was in a myth from the American Southwest. Near the Great Lakes, the Menominee people have a different origin for the Big Dipper. In this story, it wasn't a curious coyote who created the constellation, but a scorned wife. In this story was a young man named Wanasataku, who played a magic flute to court the prettiest daughter of the neighboring village's chief. The daughter was intrigued by the young man's music and eventually became his wife. They lived together for a time and the man was a successful hunter, but soon he began attending feasts and meeting other women. Then he lied to his wife and told her that he was going to join a war party when really he was going to meet his other woman. Then one day came when the young man, Wanasatsuku, went to a feast and never came back. He sent people to tell his wife that he had died in battle when really he decided to live with his new wife. The first wife believed the lie. She believed the lie until one night she heard the music he played on his magic flute. Every night for four nights he played his magic flute and she recognized the song as his. Eventually one day while cutting wood she decided to go in the direction from which she heard the music. On the way there she encountered a mouse whom she almost killed with her axe. But the mouse yelled up at her, Don't kill me! Then he bargained with the woman because he had knowledge that she may have wanted. He confirmed that the music was that of her wandering husband and that he was alive and staying with another woman. The mouse also said to her, On your shelf you will see a bundle. Open it and you will find it to be a bunch of dried bones which represent your man's death. Then the mouse told her where she would find her husband playing his flute. So that evening... The woman found the man's tracks to his favorite spot for playing his magic flute. This was near another village, the one that Wanasataku's second wife lived in. At that spot, the first wife sat and began to sing. Quote, then she sat down right there in sight of the whole great village and began to sing her magic song, directing it against her husband, for she also had great power. Her song meant that she was offended and would not have the man live with her again, and her song told that she was a god. She sang it loud enough for all the villagers to hear. They listened and were frightened, for they heard her saying that her name was Utsukasakao, really a god woman. 
the deserted wife sang the song four days at his place, and all the people heard and were frightened, knowing her to be a great powered godwoman. On the fourth and last day in the morning, she threw herself on the ground and rolled over and over like a horse, and when she had finished, she had become a small animal, a fisher. End quote. If you don't know, a fisher is a small carnivorous mammal. It is a member of the mustelid family, meaning it is related to weasels, badgers, otters, ferrets, martens, and wolverines. Fishers grow to a maximum mass of about 6 kilograms. That's about 13 pounds. In other words, fishers are small but fierce. So, after the jilted first wife transformed into a fisher, quote, the fisher went directly to the place where her husband was cohabiting with his paramour and killed both of them with all their relatives. She chased them all over this earth before she caught them and bit them to death. Then she cried, I am now so mad nothing can ever pacify me. I will never go home again. But as I am really possessed of power, I will make a sign for those who are to people the world in the future, and they will say of me that I did right. So she jumped up and ascended into the northern heavens. She is now there as a female and is called Utsukanao, the fisher star, meaning the dipper. End quote. The Big Dipper was known as the Fisher or Martin across much of Turtle Island. Not all indigenous people of Turtle Island called the Big Dipper a Fisher, however. In some cultures and languages, the name for the Big Dipper constellation refers to it being related to bears. For instance, in a Seneca legend, Sky Woman, who travels around continuously, named each of the constellations. In the north is a constellation called Niaguaya Deshe, which translates into They are pursuing the bear. In Latin, the Big Dipper constellation is called Ursa Major, which means Big Bear. It is interesting that the bear motif is used for the constellation's name because the bear motif has been a powerful one across the circumpolar region for thousands of years. When I say circumpolar region, I am referring to what are now the forested areas of the Northern Hemisphere. To be more specific, I am saying that the geographic regions of what are now Northern Eurasia, that is, Scandinavia, Russia, Mongolia, Alaska, Canada, Greenland, etc., share a common history that began thousands of years ago. To better describe what I mean, I'm going to trace the etymology of the European word bear and compare it to the Anishinaabe word for bear, makwa. The word bear itself is ancient. The roots of the word go back to a Proto-Indo-European form known as bear, which may have referred to an animal called something like baros. The Proto-Indo-European word meant dark animal. If you didn't already know, the languages of German and Sanskrit are related through an older language family called Proto-Indo-European. Proto-Indo-European is what linguists have determined to have been a parent language to many later Indo-European languages. To make a long story short, from the Proto-Indo-European word baros, we get the modern words bear, brown, bruin, and even beaver. 
In circumpolar forest cultures, the bear has long been considered not only powerful, but magical. Interestingly, possibly due to ancient cultural taboos, the word for bear in some Indo-European languages branched off from the root word erktol, which is where in English we get the word arctic. In Sanskrit, bear is riksa, which likely stems from erktol. In Greek, the word arktikos refers to anything in the northern region, but when literally translated into English means of the bear constellation. In Armenian, the word for bear is arj. In Welsh, it is arth. And in Latin, it is ursus, hence ursa major, which means big bear. So it seems that since ancient times across a geographic region that included northern Europe and India, bears and north were correlated. Furthermore, if you walk Proto-Indo-European through the Simshin language, you can then relate some of those words to Anishinaabe words. It's tedious work, and you have to jump back and forth through a few languages, but it's interesting. What one learns is that there are systematic relationships between Simshin and Proto-Indo-European. What this means is that somewhere in the distant past, these languages had a common root. So how does bear become makwa? That's where simshin comes in useful, because the b, p, and m sounds in Proto-European are similarly utilized for cognate words in simshin. Because of language changes over time, place, and possibly superstition, words like beros and urkto became roots for bear. In Anishinaabe, bear is called makwa. The root word for makwa is the same root for the words for black and red, which are makate and miskwa, respectively. What this means, I believe, is that there may have been many language shifts over time. As an example, I'll use the word Bombay. Bombay is a city in India, but the word Bombay is not an accurate reflection of the Indian language. It is more accurate to say Mumbai. Bombay was the anglicized version of Mumbai. This is because the M and B sounds are created with similarly arranged mouth movements. Basically, M and B start with your lips closed at the front. In Simshin, which is a language of the native people of the west coast of Turtle Island, the word for brown bear is Maskmal. As I just mentioned, the Ojibwe word is makwa. However, in Cree, which is closely related to Ojibwe, the word for bear is maskwa. It can be seen then that there is a common root for bear in maskmal, maskwa, and makwa, where the S has been dropped possibly via a language shift. Furthermore, in Simshin, bear is simply olki. This word is cognate with the Proto-Indo-European root urkto. Therefore, the Simshin word maskmal could be thought of as makwa and urkto. In all of these cases, the mas or mask root word means reddish, brown, or black. Perhaps the color range is related to the coagulation of blood, because in Ojibwe, the word for blood is miskwi. To clarify, 
Like in many European and Asian languages, even the Cree and Ojibwe words for bear refer to its dark brownish color. But somewhere along the way, bear became mas. I have explained the b m connection, but the r s connection doesn't seem to flow as well. Perhaps we can learn more by searching through other languages for terms that refer to the animal known in English as bear and in Ojibwe as makwa. Let's take a quick trip around the world. The Inuit word for polar bear is nanuk, but their word for brown bear is aklark. To me, it looks like aklark could have its roots in urkto. In Korean, the word for bear is gom. In Japanese, the word for bear is kuma, which looks like it is cognate with the Korean gom. The Cambodian word for bear is klakmum. The word kuma can be seen in the word klakmum and are likely related. Therefore, it isn't such a huge stretch to hear and see possible common roots in klakmum and aklark. In Mongolia, the word for bear is bavgai, which has elements of bear and gom. However, in Mandarin Chinese, the word for bear is xiong, which is similar to the Vietnamese word for bear, xiu. But neither of these is similar to mas or to bear. Yet on the other side of China, the Nepali word for bear is balu. Sometimes languages in a region change via imperial doctrine. But that's another story. An interesting correlation for bear in an Asian language is perhaps the Laotian word for bear, which is mi. The Laotian and the Thai word for bear is similar, mi. Could this be related to the Ojibwe word makwa? I argue that yes, the Ojibwe word is related to the Proto-Indo-European word and that traces of the word can be found in the languages of geographic regions where some of the ancestors of the people of Turtle Island had once lived. For example, in Russian, the word for bear is medvid. Here we can see a Russian word mid that sounds a little bit like mas and also is related to bear. Could Russian medvid be related to Laotian mi? It is interesting to note that a nickname meaning little bear in Russia is mishka which actually sounds a lot like the Cree word maskwa. It is also interesting to note that the d sound in languages can shift to the z sound and eventually to more of an s. Could there be a linguistic connection between all these geographic regions and cultures? I think so. In any case, whether we call a bear the brown one or use the bear as a representation of the far north, it can be seen that from ancient times and across the northern hemisphere, people associated the northern star cluster with bears. But why? I believe it has to do with ancient hunting practices, which is reflected in the Seneca legend mentioned earlier, where Sky Woman names the Big Dipper constellation as, They are pursuing the bear. The Seneca legend comes from the Algonquin language family, which includes Iroquois. In the Mohawk language, bear is called okari. This word sounds pretty close to the Inuit word aklark. 
which I have argued is related to the Proto-European word Urkto. But I would need to know a lot more words in many different languages to be certain. Bears were important because bears could impart unto humans food, knowledge, and ultimately power. But the power of the bear was also something to beware. An Anishinaabe legend called the Bear Child gives some insight into what all could be gathered and learned by people from a bear. Quote, Did you ever hear about the time Makwa the bear took a little child? A couple of ladies went to pick berries. One put her child asleep and left it. After she finished picking berries, she went back to check on her child and it was gone. She looked around where she left the child and she saw a fresh bear track going away from this place. She followed the bear track and far away from the place she saw her Tikkanagan lying on the ground. She looked for blood on the Tikkanagan and ground, but there was no sign of blood. A search party went out to track the bear and child. The bear went into a burnt area, then they lost its tracks. They came to the conclusion that the bear ate this child and they quit the search. After they concluded this, they tried to forget the misfortune. Towards spring, one old man said to the mother, I think your child is still living. The old man later went walking in the bush and he saw where a bear had raked the bark off a tree. He knew there was a bear around that area. He found the bear and dug it out and killed it. Then he cut up the bear. Next, the old man threw out all the grass in the bear den. When he looked, he saw the child sitting there. This child was not able to walk when the bear took it, but now the child could walk, and when the child saw the bear cut up, it started screaming and crying, My mama! The old man took the child home. The child was really fat, and he had good clothes. It was not known how or where the bear got clothes for the child. After the child was taken home, he was always crying, My mama! He would cry himself to sleep, still saying, My mama! While the child was sleeping, the old people tried to make it forget about its bear mama. This child, when fed, wouldn't take any rabbit, meat, or fish. He just wouldn't take anything. Then they asked him what he ate. Dried berries and crushed dried fish. That's the only thing he would eat. Then they asked him, Where do you get the food you used to eat? The child replied, I used to get dried berries off her front paws and dried fish off the bottom of her feet. They tried to keep the child alive, so they caught fish, dried it in the sun, and they dried berries, and this is the food they gave him. They made it that way for him, but eventually the child started to live like an Indian and ate regular food. He forgot about his bear mother. End quote. Miigwech Manitou Makwa That's all for today's episode. Stay tuned for more episodes in the future. I'm Chris Waite. And this has been the Anishinaabe History Podcast.